And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. Welcome to the latest episode of The Shamrock. I'm Pete Sampson inside State Farm Stadium. Uh, after Oklahoma State's 37-35 comeback win over Notre Dame, the biggest comeback in both Fiesta Bowl and Oklahoma State history. Matt, you uh, you watched it unfold from back in Chicago. Uh, I don't know if it looked or felt any differently to you, but um, there was so much of today that felt like, from here, first-time head coach, first game, a lot to learn as you go. Uh, and it's probably worth noting when Mike Gundy coached his first game as a head coach, Marcus Freeman was a sophomore at Ohio State. I mean, is it an overreaction to say this is like the worst possible thing that could have happened in this one game sample size? Uh, no, no. Well, yes, yes, it is. That is a that is a big overreaction. But I but I will say like one of one of the boxes that Notre Dame desperately needed to not have checked is a loss where you could look at Freeman and be like, okay, that was, there were some rough patches there. I do think, but I mean, we talked about this. We've both written it. Like if you're going to have a first time head coach, you got to back him to learn on the job because the expectation that he's going to have it figured out when he shows up is, is kind of ridiculous. Uh, what I was shocked by was probably more of the schematic stuff than the preparation parts. Like, the fact that it was Oklahoma State that figured out mm-hmm. that Notre Dame's linebackers are, are not great in coverage, and if you can spread them out with 10 personnel, you can get to them. Um, you know, the fact that Oklahoma State was able to sort of make DJ Brown at safety look like the guy who was replacing Kyle Hamilton opposed to the guy who looked like a really good college player over the last six weeks of the season. Um, you know, less of a surprise that Oak, that Notre Dame abandoned the run before the game started, um, which didn't look like a bad idea the way the game was going with Jack Cohn. But, but again, you're going to have a passing game that what I think Cohn finished with 68 passing attempts. You you tried to do that with three scholarship receivers. Um, again, an issue at Notre Dame where receiver depth is a major major concern has been systemic to the program for a while now. So there's, it's not certainly all on Marcus Freeman, but I, I will be fascinated to sort of see how he processes this game as information moving forward. Is this enough to steer you one way or the other, a defensive coordinator? Does this make the, you know, the offensive line receiver positions more clear for you or does it muddy it? I don't, I don't know. I don't know the answers to that. Um, but, uh, in like in terms of game management, like, even at the end of the game, when they went for it, it was an incomplete to Kevin Austin because there was a defensive tackle that ran right around Kane Madden and was in Jack Cohn's face. Like, I like the idea of going for it there. Yeah. That's a that's a head coach's decision. It would be difficult for me to point to moments in the game where I'm just like, that was bad clock management, or they had a substitution area, or their special teams report. Like, I mean, there wasn't any of that. Um, 
I think it had a lot more to do with Oklahoma State exposing some issues that Notre Dame has always had this season um, that really showed tonight in a way that I, I, I guess we'll have to give Brian Kelly some credit for masking them for the past three months. Yeah, it was like every bad thing about this Notre Dame team came to light in the worst all at once over yeah. the last 30 minutes of the season. And to your point, I'm so, look, Oklahoma State was six inches away from me in the college football playoff. This is a really good football team. I don't want to diminish, um, you know, the team that just beat Notre Dame today, but I, I'm just surprised at least offensively that Oklahoma state, especially after the way they looked in the first half was able to be the team that I mean, just obliterated Notre Dame defensively in the second half. I mean, we're, we're talking about a team yes. that was fifth in the big 12 in scoring offense this year. Fifth in the Big 12 in rushing offense, seventh in passing offense, seventh in total offense. This was not a dynamic Oklahoma State offense. And through the first half, Spencer Sanders did not look that great. And to his credit, he played his tail off in the second half. But even then, we're talking about Notre Dame and a two-point loss in which they were up 21 points at one point. And Oklahoma State had two, basically like at two different times to put the game away in the red zone, once in the literal end zone. And second time with their quarterback, we were just talking about inside the 10-yard line and just completely handed it to Notre Dame. Like, it's just a weird game, right, where you you, you blow a 21-point lead, you lose, and you look at it and you're like, that probably shouldn't even have been that close. If Oklahoma State did, like, the bare minimum in the fourth quarter and protected the football. I mean, it was really close from, from being that much worse. Credit to um, Isaiah Foskey and Drew White for uh, – I think J.D. Bertrand was also in on that second fumble um, for – for keeping Notre Dame in it, but um, that offense just looked, I mean, I, I tweeted this, you know, in the second half at some point, it, the, the game felt a little bit like Florida State in the opener where that first half, oh my God, look how good Jack Cohn is. Look how wide open this offense is. Mm-hmm. They can't be covered. I hated the way that first half ended. I, I would have liked to have seen Notre Dame at least try to get three more points on the board after Oklahoma State um, responded because look, big difference between being down 21-14, and a really big difference when you're getting the ball to start the second half is Oklahoma State did because that quickly went from 28-7 to 28-21, which completely changes the tenor of this game. But, I, you know, it just wasn't um, – I, I expected a good second half. I expected this to be a game. I did not expect Notre Dame to essentially exhaust themselves over the first 30 minutes and have nothing left to give in the second half. Like that was just – I just did not see that coming. I, I'm with you there. I asked Drew White about conditioning and fatigue. He said it had more to do with sort of the scheme Oklahoma State was employing opposed to Notre Dame being gassed. Um, and, you know, Cam Hart, I realized people said he was at 100% um, after the thigh bruise. He subbed out briefly in the game. Freshman Ryan Barnes came in. Um, again, that's a, that's a lack of depth issue. That's That's something a little bit more rooted into the program than what the game plan was today. But it didn't look like the Notre Dame team that we've seen so much over the last five years where what could you really count on Notre Dame to do? Just beat the crap out of you over four quarters and they're the team that makes the play at the end to win the game. Uh, That didn't happen tonight or today uh, despite what the Drew White fumble and the Zayafoski, those forced fumbles, um, you know, that, that really presented, prevented a game from maybe looking like it got out of hand. Um, So that, that's part of it. It, it, it. I think Freeman in a, you know, kind of a smaller sample size, will have to look at this and some lessons learned about preparation for whatever bull Notre Dame is in next year. I, I'm not 
sure there's as many lessons for him to take away about how he calls or how he prepares for Ohio State in September of 2022. But I mean, I also would give him some credit. That is a that's a big stage and a big glare for a first time head coach. And I thought he handled himself well post game. We've we've seen head coaches not do that. Um, and so that, you know, he said, he look, he said the honeymoon's over. Um, you know, I, I felt like he comes away thinking like, all right, I have a top 10 loss. I have a major bowl loss. Like I haven't found the solution, um, yet, but that's different than saying like, he's part of the problem. If that makes sense. Like, I think that he sort of looks at this and like, all right, got a lot to learn from this. Um, but there's a, a high degree of confidence that he will be able to pick up those lessons sooner rather than later. Yeah, I thought he handled the post game well, or at least as well as could be expected in a situation like this. And um, you know, the, the whole framing it as l- using this as a learning effort. I mean, <laughs> I, I know Twitter is like a snapshot of of reality. It's not uh, at all indicative, but like you know. Austin David Hale are tweeting like they're tweeting back Billy Bob Farsi Blue memes like Notre Dame's rolling. People are making fun of Brian Kelly, you know. Like <laughs> that is that is really tough because I yeah I'm with you. Like Twitter is not uh, like an accurate sentiment of society. Thank God. But you know somebody sent me a video of two of Freeman's daughters doing push-ups in a luxury box after Mayor caught the second touchdown. They're up twenty-eight seven. Like. You're like, all right, this is happening. Like rocket ride to the stars, Notre Dame football, um, nine month honeymoon period. And yeah, that all, that all evaporates over the course of about 90 minutes. So that, that is a very, very bitter pill. I think for Notre Dame to swallow. Cause like Notre Dame would be, Notre Dame would have been like the story of college football for right. the next nine months. Um, and just sort of let that kind of like sand through your fingers a little bit is that that's hard to take on top of just like the tangible loss itself. It, it is, but I, I, I would never say like, oh, this is necessary or like, oh, a loss is good. I know you got to frame it that way when it already happens, but I, I, maybe it's just me. Uh, maybe it's this past year. Um, what, Tom Allen, Mac Brown, Matt Campbell, all these flavor of the month coaches who all had terrible seasons by their preseason standards. Like, I just think winning the offseason is so overrated. Like, we're such an easy... Um, yeah. species to please, whether Very it's us in the media or the fans yeah. on Twitter. And I could already tell you right now, if Shane Beamer took a mayo bath, everyone's going to rank South Carolina in the preseason top 25 and say, what the hell happened when they go four and eight next year? Like, that's just how this sport works. Um, we, we are prisoners of the moment. Um, I, I think there's a lot more substance to Marcus Freeman and to Notre Dame football um, than all that fluff. And, and I think, um, you know, whether they need it or not, I don't know. I mean, I think they're all adults in that room, but, uh, you know, they're, 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 it's just amazing to me how quickly all that evaporated over 30 minutes. I mean, it's, you know, you had a, a funny tweet making fun of Oklahoma State's halftime account because they were, <laughs> by the way, they were trending upward, you know, or, or excuse me, they, they were trending downward. Notre Dame actually finished with more tackles and more tackles for loss um, than Oklahoma State at the end of the game. It's almost so, like those stats are not indicative of how the game went. Imagine that, right? Um, yeah. it, it was just, um, I mean, so many firsts, right? Oklahoma State's biggest comeback. You had the tweet, um, 49-0 when they scored three offensive touchdowns since 2007, I think? Uh, 17. 17, I'm sorry, 17. Yeah. Um, 79-0 when leading by 21 since 2004, according to the broadcast. Like, Yeah, t- Tim Beret, 
uh, friend of the podcast, said that this was Notre Dame's biggest blown lead since senior day and against Tennessee in 1991, um, which you know was a 35-34 loss. That's you know all that stuff is very uh, very difficult to process if you're Notre Dame. Um, you know, I, I think Freeman has been very good about like not like he can wear stuff like he, he wore the no major bull win since the 94 season. I think he's worn recruiting needs to, um, you know, improve, but you know, it's probably a little bit easier to wear that when you're not the head coach, you know, to, to wear this loss, um, is going to be a lot more difficult, but that's where I, I sort of like his reaction to it post game was, you know, execution, coaching, like some of the things Brian Kelly would say, um, but without sort of the boiling over anger to go with it. Um, so it's, I'll be interested to sort of see how he processes that. I would, and I, in some ways I, maybe I disagree a little bit with him that the honeymoon is over. Like the way this program is built, if they have, you know, if Isaiah Foskey returns, if Jason Adamola returns, if Harry Easton is the next offensive line coach, Notre Dame is still going to have a lot of preseason buzz and like a lot of things to feel like they can build on. But, um, you know, Drew White talked about how, you know, this, he used sort of every cliche about being a bitter taste and tough to swallow and so on and so forth. All that is true. At this point, you'd sort of be a fool if you're Notre Dame not to use that as motivation for the next nine months. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7, U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Victorinox, the makers of the original Swiss Army Knife, have been a reliable companion for life's everyday challenges, mastering functionality, innovation, iconic design, and uncompromising quality with its products. The Victorinox Swiss Army Knife provides you with all the things you don't think about until you need it. Tweezers, a screwdriver, and even a corkscrew. With the Victorinox Swiss Army Knife, you can be prepared to master everyday life. You can find Victorinox Swiss Army Knives at Dick's Sporting Goods. Speaking of looking ahead, uh, as I watched Britton Covey have the most ridiculous kickoff return for a touchdown ever to put Utah up two touchdowns on Ohio State in the Rose Bowl in the first half. Uh, we're, we're very, very close to the loser of Notre Dame, Ohio State, in week one next year. will be on either a two-game losing streak or a three-game losing streak um, <laughs> with, with the way full season has ended for both teams. So I'm sure both fan bases won't overreact to that at all. But, you know, I mean, Everyone was getting in on it, right? Brady Quinn saying, oh, maybe Brian Kelly was a problem. Look how good this offense is. I mean, I think there's you know a little more personal history there that was uh, um, not so thinly veiled within that tweet. But it's, I think everyone needed to calm down a little bit because if they went on and won this game by, you know, double digits, um, God, can you imagine the hype machine? I mean, it would just be ridiculous over the next mm-hmm. nine months without any losable moments to happen um, between now and then. Um, yeah, I'm not. I, so I you're saying maybe, perhaps it's best that we all don't get drunk on that. Uh, <laughs> it might be. Month, I mean, a nine month bender. It, it might be. I mean, I, I, the stat out. It's surprising when you read it, although it makes sense because the games where you throw a lot of balls are usually the ones where you need to throw a lot of balls because you're losing. Yeah. 
Joe Theismann, 526 yards, most in a Notre Dame game ever. Jack Cohen had 509 today, second. Brady Quinn had 47 um, in 2005 against Michigan State. Notre Dame lost all three of those games. Um, most pass attempts as well uh, in a game right? in Notre Dame history with 68 for Cohen. And it's, I mean, it's just an interesting dynamic because like they were winning the game that way. That style of play was working for them. Um, you know, it wasn't like you just started chucking it after you were down 21 points midway through the first quarter. Um, you know, they they went for it. But I think there has to be a really serious examination of like why you had to go for it, like why you would go into a game thinking you can't run the ball. And I'm not saying that they should have given Chris Tyree 20 carries and Logan Diggs 17 carries because I think they would have lost. Um, but just like Notre Dame shouldn't be in that position, um, even with two freshman offensive tackles. I just don't. I just don't, you know, for how good Oklahoma State's defense was, I, and I get it, they're quite good. Um, the fact that you can, you're in a position where it makes sense to concede the run game before the game starts is not uh, not a good place to be. Yeah, I go back and forth, you know, in the heat of the moment of was this was this a game plan based on Tommy Reese saying, "Hey, I already know what I have and I don't have here. We just need mm-hmm. to mask these deficiencies as best as possible and." Take it as far pragmatic. as take it as far as we can, which they did in the first half. Or is it you got to at least try to establish a run at some point if you're playing pretty much anyone this side of Alabama and Georgia? Um, you know, even if you don't have Kyron Williams, is it inexcusable to not even attempt to run the ball today? I mean, 21 carries for 42 yards, not good. Logan Diggs, nine carries, 29 yards. Um, with the, the lead uh, fan favor, Audric estimate one carry minus one yard, but you know what? He was a, he was a 30 yard run away from making our loyal listeners happy and finishing hey, was Notre not, Dame's top rusher today because who called Lorenzo styles, this guy you did. Um, and the, you know, the, the pass game as an extension of the run game, they had three 100 yard receivers today, including Chris Tyree with 115 yards on six catches and a touchdown um, on that second drive of the game where it, the red sea just parted for him. So, I don't know. There, there, there's a lot to take away from this game. I, I wonder how much of it is translatable or like worth picking apart as we look forward to the Marcus Freeman era. I mean, you mentioned, I mean, barring anything um, absolutely unforeseen, Harry Houston's going to be Notre Dame's next offensive line coach. Um, I think that's it should be wrapped up here sooner rather than later. Um, I, I don't know what's going to happen. I mean, there will be a new defense coordinator. Don't know who that's going to be. I don't know what's going to happen with receivers or special teams coach. Um, the coaching convention in San Antonio is next weekend. That's usually when most of this stuff gets done. Um, I would imagine Marcus Freeman and or Tommy Reese will be down there. I mean, pretty much every coach in the country will be down there who's not coaching a game next week. So um, I think we'll probably get more news on that regard. But to, to mm-hmm. borrow a, a favorite phrase that was coined 365 days ago on this podcast – what is the first next step for the Marcus Freeman era? Because um, it's it's a little different than asking it of Brian Kelly after they lose to Alabama. Yeah, uh, it, it definitely is. And I think the reaction would have been a, a little bit more uh, measured as well. I I think it's, to me, it's fixing the offense. Um, and I don't mean that in the, like, it's broken. Um, but you have to be able to run the ball uh with some authority, whether that's estimate Diggs or Tyree or Jadarian Price, it, it does not matter. But um, 
they they don't run the ball with authority. Um, it, I have a very difficult time seeing Notre Dame ever being, um, you know, hitting like that this New Year's Six playoff winning offense if they can't be a third and two. We got this on the ground, um, not with the material they have on the offensive line. So, getting the offensive line to not be good but be great, um, they were good at times this year. Uh, and then, you know, what, what you want to do at receiver, um, you can't, you can't have a roster situation like this in 2022 at receiver where you, you don't have guys, um, where you have three available ready scholarship receivers, the, the fourth being Deion Thomas or Deion Colsey and the fifth being Jaden Thomas. Like that doesn't work in 2022, um, nor can you have your secondary built the way that Notre Dame's was built. I realized they were without Kyle Hamilton and Cam Hart was banged up, but you know, Ohio, Oklahoma State's Tay Martin, who I believe is a freshman, if I'm not mistaken, ten catches for 104 yards and three touchdowns, and, and looked, looked like a pro doing it on. Yeah, some of those I mean that's Notre Dame needs they they can't have just one Lorenzo Styles. They have to have three or four Lorenzo styles. Um, so that, that I, I, it's, I feel like it's a recruiting recruiting would be my first priority. Uh, and it certainly is in concert with coaching staff hires, but I think you got to figure out how, how do we get our roster to look better than it looks, uh, especially at the skill positions. Cause it's, um, this was one of those games where like the Notre Dame team speed card comes back. Uh, at least on defense, and I think it's fair, uh, particularly at the back in the back seven. I mean, why can't Notre Dame have linebackers and defensive backs who are as effective as what they do as a, what Isaiah Foskey or Jason Adamalola or Myron Tagovailoa Mosar on the defensive line? There's there's no reason for that. So I think that would be that would be where I would start if I was Marcus Freeman. I don't know how how would you see that? What would be sort of the first next step from you? Yeah, I mean, I think. The result sucks. The way it happened sucks, and then like it's really tough to swallow when you lose the last game of the season, whether it's the start or the end of a of a, a coaching regime. I mean, in some ways today, as you know, as we like move further away from it and calm ourselves down and look at what happened on the field, it was almost like Notre Dame just stared at itself in the mirror and saw every bad part or deficient part of this program come to life over a thirty minute span. I feel like uh, I want to give Oklahoma some credit for like turning the light on, though. Oklahoma State. You know? well, yeah. Oklahoma, team, what did right? I say? I say. <laughs> you said Oklahoma. Uh, okay. Yeah. Oklahoma State. I, <laughs> give, I, give Oklahoma credit too. They made a good. Yeah. I think give Oklahoma State credit for like exposing that or like you know turning yeah. the glare, the the floodlights on for Notre Dame to be like, oh, whoa, uh, we we our linebackers in coverage are not great. Um, you know, we're not great tacklers at uh, at safety. Um, you know, we, we don't have depth of corner like Oklahoma State figure out. I mean, how many how many podcasts have we had where we're just like, how come teams can't figure out that Notre Dame doesn't have Kyle Hamilton and don't pick on that? Like nobody was able to like exploit that. And Oklahoma State was able to exploit that in in addition to some other, um, I think, things that Notre Dame needs to get cleaned up either through recruiting or um, through player development. I just think so many of the old tropes about Notre Dame, if you want to to, to trot them out right now, you wouldn't be wrong about a lot of them, right? Like their schedule was really soft this year. It was like mm-hmm. <laughs> the team yeah. that we saw today against Oklahoma State, the same team that absolutely destroyed not very good slate of opponents in November, which look, Notre Dame can't control who it plays. Good for them for taking care of business, but 
that absolutely proved to be true today. Um, the recruiting deficiencies, we, you know, we just went over them in, in pretty good detail. The other part of it too, and you know, this is the part that uh, you know we we said this while he was still here, and you know, I know we're we're all kind of forgetting it right now in the heat of the moment. Brian Kelly did a really good job at Notre Dame. I mean, there was a lot he could have improved on, but like the guy knew how to win football games. He knew how to win football mm-hmm. games sometimes with not the best deck of cards. And I mean, we yeah. said it multiple times throughout this particular season. Hey, this might be this guy's best coaching job to date at Notre Dame in 12 years, given what he has to work with and going 11 and one. And with that only loss coming to a team that made the college football playoff this year. Um, you know, that doesn't excuse the recruiting deficiencies. That doesn't excuse some of the the excitement, the energy, the personal relationships, all the good things that seem to be changing uh, within the program right now under Marcus Freeman. Uh, and I would frankly argue, like, because Brian Kelly was so good at the other stuff, he probably thought he could neglect some of it or, or thought I could outcoach or out game plan or out program a lot of these things that do matter that didn't matter enough to him. But, uh, you know, my phone was, as I'm sure yours was, as we're talking to people around the program or, or former players on our program. Uh, it was brought up to me by at least two people. We win this game if Brian Kelly's our head coach, and I, I don't disagree. And I don't, I don't say that as an knock to Marcus Freeman. I don't say one's better than the other. But like Brian Kelly knew how to win games, he was supposed to win. Mm-hmm. Um, and I know the circumstances around this one were different. I know you had a, a play caller, Mike Elston, who's never called plays before in his life on defense. But um, you know, it's hard to think of a Brian Kelly team, at least in the last outside of 2016. Um, I wouldn't say no show, but just, you know, get beat like that in, in the second half, the way they did today. I think that that's a that's kind of tough, but fair on that one. Um, I don't know if Notre Dame is leading 28, seven in the game. If Brian Kelly's right. the head coach either, you know, I, I think it's with, I, and I think this is probably going to be indicative of first time head coach and a really young offense coordinator. You're going to have some, some pretty violent swing type games, um, maybe within the game itself, which is what happened today, where they may, they may, they, they at some point they will lose a game they shouldn't have lost, um, and I mean that to an opponent who is inferior. I don't mean that as meaning Oklahoma State was inferior. Um, they're also, I think, are going to beat some teams that Brian Kelly did not beat um, because they take chances and are more aggressive. Uh, and roll the dice a little bit, but uh, it's like if you could have Marcus Freeman coach the first half and Brian Kelly coach the second <laughs> half, fantasy world. Um, it's like semi-pro. Would, I'll yeah, be the Notre offensive Dame, coach and you'll be the motivator. <laughs> yeah, I mean, Notre Dame would have won the game, I think. Um, so it's like, I think you have to give Freeman some credit for like getting to 28-7, but then you have to, Freeman has to look at himself and be like, all right, how do... How do am I a better coach when I'm up 28-7? What do I need to do to sort of take stock of my skill set, how I communicate, um, how we condition for this, how we adjust? Because, um, I mean, look, it, if anything, like, you, I thought Freeman did a really nice job this year with, like, the second half adjustments. Um, certainly the second half of the season. It was uh, – there were a lot of good things happening there. So it um, – but – you know, coming out of this, I, I don't know how you couldn't look at this if you're Marcus Freeman and not be like, all right, this is going to start with me. Um, but there's a lot of work that is not just head coach related to uh, to go from there. I think you were also staring yeah, at Yeah, my, my jaw dropped and I saw you looking up. Cam Wright. 34-21 as we record this. In the second quarter, yeah. You thought there was a lot of scoring Good in God. the Oklahoma State-Nerdame game. Um, 
to, to go back to the comparison of how this game felt like Florida State, like think back to Florida State and Toledo. And it, think, sorry, think pre Florida State, right? Like you had a survey of who Notre Dame's next head coach should be among fans. And I know this is not exactly a scientific poll, but Marcus Freeman was the overwhelming favorite before he ever coached or called a defense at the Power Five level. And mm-hmm. then they almost lose to Florida State. They almost lose to Toledo. The defense looks terrible in the second half of both games. And slowly but surely, they right the ship and they get a lot better. Um, not exactly an apples to apples comparison, but uh, you know, today felt a little bit like that. I'm of the belief that whatever you're doing in life, whether it's calling a defense for the first time, being the head coach of a program for the first time, recording a podcast for the first time, we're all human. We're all going to make a lot of mistakes. And the people who succeed are the ones who get those mistakes out of their system quicker, which of course is a risk when you hire a first time head coach who's 35 years old to run the most famous college football program in the world, but it's reality. And even though no one's happy about today, nor should they be, uh, they should be pretty frustrated because they had a golden opportunity slip through their hands of doing something they hadn't done in three decades before. Uh, I, I do think this is part of that learning on the job that you know we talked about, that Jack Swarbrick talked mm-hmm. about when he talked about the risk in hiring Freeman. The, the other thing that you have to allow. You have right? to allow. Like, yeah, you have yeah. to allow this. The, the other thing, I can't believe we haven't even mentioned this until the 28-minute mark, not one snap for Tyler Buckner today. I cannot believe that. I was surprised by that. Um, if 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 it said after the game, Nurim lost, they couldn't run the ball, and Tyler Buckner didn't play, I'd be like, "Are you kidding me? Like how? Like how is that even possible?" Um, but if then you had sort of backed up from that and said Nurim can't run the ball, they were up twenty-eight-seven at one point, and Jack Cohn threw for what three hundred yards in the first half. Like, oh, okay, I kind of get it. Um, it was a, it was just sort of it was a weird game that way because um, like when you could you have had a change up in there to go to Buckner to get the run game going less because you're trying to like score points as quickly as possible and more because you're trying to give your defense some rest even though you know were they gassed were they not I don't know um, that that's a change up I think you could definitely make an argument that having Buckner in the game as a way to rest your defense would have been something that made strategic sense. It might be a bit of a reach, but it's, it's, it's a conversation you could have, right? Yeah. I mean, I, I don't, there was no part in the game where I'm like, Oh my God, put him in. But like, right. Guys played a lot of football in the second half of the season. Um, so often bulls, regardless of their importance or lack thereof outside of the playoff are schemed up with one eye toward the future. And this guy's going to be, the future of your program next year, presumably, and you couldn't run the ball. Um, I I was surprised they didn't use him the way they did, at least early in the season, right? As a a change of pace quarterback. As like in the second half when the offense is stalling. I know obviously to spare the defense a little bit, but like you have no run game whatsoever. Put this guy in. Make him make those linebackers think twice. Get Michael Mayer open a little bit um, because Oklahoma State really did a great job of, for the most part, taking him out in the second half. Um, I mean, it but isn't became, it kind of one of those things where like you have no run game, but like that was sort of by design. Like they were okay with not having a run game. I'm not saying that they that were until they okay weren't. I mean, yeah, <laughs> you needed something at the end. They could there. have had one, um, but they just they didn't. I mean, how many? Kind of going through the list as three and outs. It's by design, but I mean that defense. I mean, Seven, oh, frankly, I think I think both sides of the ball were were gassed by the fourth quarter. But yeah, um, you know, Lorenzo Styles and Brandon Lindsay aren't getting the separation in quarters three and four that they were in one and two. 
No, I mean, it's like I watched Braden Lindsay. He, I think it was a deep shot um, that missed by a little bit. Um, no, it was, it was sort of an interference one that wasn't called. <laughs> yeah, it was a, it may have been in the fourth quarter where it was a contested catch in the end zone. He didn't get it. I think there anybody even scored on possession, but like watching him move around at that point, you're like, this guy has nothing left in the tank. And that's not a criticism in any way. It's just a reality. Like if you run gassers over and over and over again, um, and you fumble into the, the end zone in a big bulk, <laughs> the way that Notre Dame was asking, uh, it's receivers to play today. Like that's a, that's a roster issue as much as it is a game yes. plan issue. You just can't have your roster built that way, which is, you know, when people talk about like, what do they need with recruiting? You, you can't, you can't sign one receiver in a class where you needed three or four. Um, especially after, you know, the sophomore class has zero receivers in it and the junior class has zero receivers in it. Like that's, that's bad roster management. So, um, yeah, it's just like, I, I hope that Freeman takes a measured view of all of this. Um, but is also very decisive about, I think the, the, the things he can get, moving in a, a good direction fastest are, are probably the bigger picture things like the recruiting issues. Um, that that's where I think Notre Dame needs to lean in the most. I think that, I mean, they're in a good way, right. With strength and conditioning, like even though today was like a bit of a, an, a one-off, like, is anyone going to come away from this game thinking like, well, Matt Bayless needs to rethink them things. No, and no one's, no, they need no more one's players. going to say that. <laughs> yeah. They just, they need more players for Matt Bayless to develop. Um, and then they, they can play at tempo. I mean, you saw, Oklahoma State had depth offensively, and then they turned it into tempo in the second half. What happened? It was clearly they had more players ready to go than Notre Dame does, um, and that's 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 sort of a rea- like Notre Dame can't find itself in that predicament again. Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner StubHub has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over twenty years, providing a one hundred percent guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. There, there was I see you're watching this replay dear listeners we both gasped as Ohio State fumbled into the end zone um, in the Rose Bowl there was no indication to me that Spencer Sanders was capable of doing what he did in the second half of, of as bad as Notre Dame's defense played I just never thought in a million years this offense based on everything we saw from them this year yeah. was going to be capable of just absolutely dealing the way they did Um in the second half. I mean, if you look at that drive chart from the last drive of the second quarter to basically the end of the game, they had one punt in the third quarter. Um, they scored on everything, but, but two possessions and two possessions they didn't score. And they both fumbled inside the 10 yard line um, or excuse me, inside the 15 yard line. Um, like they did whatever they wanted in the second half. Right. And I just, 
I did not know they were capable of that, quite frankly. Nor, nor did I know Notre Dame was capable of that defensively. Um, you know, it's, it's Spencer Sanders finished six yards off the total offense record for a Notre Dame opponent behind Darnard Robinson from the 2010 Michigan game in South Bend. I mean, that's nobody, nobody was going to compare Spencer Sanders and Denard Robinson uh, in a single tweet or sentence when this game started. Well, and and he, yet, that's where it ended. He still had less yards of total offense, even with sacks, than Jack Cohn did. Yeah, it's it's <laughs> wild. Um, it's just like you watched the Baylor Big 12 championship game, and it's just like, this guy's really bad. Um, First half picks. today, I just didn't think he was that good. Yeah, and just like it looked like they really had to work to get anything going offensively. Um, but as soon as they got into 10 personnel, I'll be interested to sort of watch the game back a little bit and sort of a, you know, chart it about how much 10 personnel they were actually in. But um, there was not – Notre Dame had a very, very difficult time getting a handle on that. And that was surprising, alarming, but in some ways maybe not because Notre Dame was not built to defend a team that throws four receivers and one back out there. Um, you know, 11 personnel, like when, when does Notre Dame defense play the best this year? Almost when they could go four, four, uh, when Batello would come in as an extra linebacker. I mean, that's, that's how they beat up Wisconsin. That's how they beat up a lot of teams that could only run the ball when you're like a spread team, the way Oklahoma state does, especially at tempo. Um, that was, that was really impressive. And like that, Notre Dame just didn't. I don't. I don't know if they had the schematic answers for it, or they didn't have the personnel answers for it. I feel like it's probably more the latter than the former. But in the end, it's you know the result is the result. I mean, when you look at the box score, the final box score, it's remarkable how close these two teams were, at least statistically yeah. speaking. I mean, they combined for one thousand one hundred sixteen yards of offense, which is probably what Utah and Ohio State have combined for in the first half of the Rose Bowl at this point. But you know, Oklahoma State outgained them six hundred five to five fifty one. Um, 6.4 yards per play to Notre Dame, 6.2. Each turned the ball over twice. Notre Dame ends up winning the time of possession battle by less than two whole minutes, which I think was a nine or 10 minute differential at halftime. Oklahoma State really asserted itself offensively in the second half. It was just, uh, I mean, a tale of two halves would be oversimplifying it, but I, I, I can't think of a, a more Marcus appropriate Freeman way used, to really use the it. term himself. <laughs> um, yeah, it just felt, and it's, there was, I had written about this a little bit during the year. I asked Frank Kelly about it. Like Notre Dame did have this weird blind spot for giving up a touchdown or a scoring drive at the end of a first half. Um, never really came back to get them other, but, but it did it against in Cincinnati um, where, you know, Kyle Hamilton sort of lost an underthrown ball and it turned into a touchdown right before halftime. And that, you know, do I, do I feel like that was an issue today? I'm not so certain without going back and watching, but there's no question when Oklahoma state scored that defense or that touchdown, I don't think any of us are like, well, 30 straight unanswered points. This is the beginning of it. Um, but it just sort of gave them hope. And then in Notre Dame, I think sort of went from like, all right, we're supremely confident. We're legitimately just passing the ball all over them um, to like, wait a minute. Um, I think they, they sort of blinked a little bit in the second half and it's just, it's difficult. You see, we see this all the time. Like it's difficult to get back into gear once you fall out of it and Notre Dame had a very hard time getting back into gear. Yeah. I mean, I don't know if you're watching the TV broadcast while you're up there, but you know, the Oklahoma state scores and you know, I'm thinking, all right, you know, it'll be an interesting second half. I still fully expect Notre Dame to win, but uh, uh, Chris Button, I think was a sideline reporter who said to Marcus Freeman, you know, great first half from your offense, blah, blah, blah. And he's like, I hate the way that ended. 
we got to go in there and, and score zero zero. Like we, we shouldn't play that way mm-hmm. on the last defensive drive of the half. And so it's not like they were taking their foot off the gas. I just don't think they had any gas left um, in the tank when, when all was said and done. So um, still, there were so many times in that second half where you just thought this offense looked so good for so long in the first half that eventually they're going to break through. And they really didn't until I hate to yes. say garbage time, but garbage time. Reese, I mean, it ended up not mattering. I thought Reese was really dealing in the first half. And then just that was, that's harder for me to sort of explain unless you're just saying like the receivers were gassed. Um, you know, is it, is it, um, I had a, not a great view of Kevin Austin's third down. I thought he should have caught it. Okay. He was running to his right. I, I was like, at first I was like, Oh, tough catch. And then I watched the replay. I'm like, look, like I just hit him in the hand. Um, you know, there was a drop mayor had a drop. Um, they certainly let the DBs get physical, which I'm not, not a complaint. Um, I prefer football to be sort of played that way. Um, but you know, we were Lindsay or Austin that necessarily wasn't like a great matchup. Um, so it's, that that's where your receiver room needs to have more versatility and depth um, than what Notre Dame had. Like, especially if you're just going to forego the run entirely like they did. Um, and I, I would be interested in sort of, um, you know, to ask Reese this down the road, if we ever get a chance, like when you bring in Mitchell Evans and you bring in George Takis, like I understand like there was three receivers can't play 100% of the snaps, but it, it did feel like you were really trading a lot um, in terms mm-hmm. of the threat of your offense to take out Lorenzo Styles, to take out Braden Lindsay, to put in um, you know tight ends who are not threats in the past game. So again, that's like if Notre Dame had Joe Wilkins and Avery Davis, maybe they don't do that. Maybe maybe it's just all eleven personnel all game. Um, but that these these were the cards that Notre Dame had to play. Um, I, I'm not saying that. They played them masterfully today, but there there were definitely some some places where they were shorthanded, and that came out and kind of hit them hit them in a bad way. There was a play on the first drive, first play, excuse me, um, after Drew Wright forced a fumble for a touchback. Uh, Lorenzo Styles has a DB one on one deep shot the down field. the middle, yeah, inches out of reach. I, I don't know what more could have been done, um, but but that looked like a touchdown waiting to happen. It was pretty much the only time up to that point in the second half where Notre Dame looked um, like the offense that they were in the first half. They go three and out. But even right then, I, when they give the ball back to Oklahoma State, they get really lucky that Spencer Sanders loses his helmet because he has to come out on second and five and you know they're going to run it there and yeah. they lose two yards with Warren there. Um, they have a great completion on third and seven down to the two that gets called back because of a face mask on the center, um, which you just never see happen. Yeah. That's a first and goal. That's first and goal from the two when you're about to go up by 10 points after failing to go up by 10 points, the last possession, because you fumbled it in the end zone. Um, and then Presley catches the ball on third and 22 in the flat. And I don't think he's going 22 yards here, but he slips, and it looked like he was not down, and they rolled him down immediately and blew the play dead. Uh, end of that drive, you know, you hold Oklahoma State to a field goal, and it's like, gosh, you've, you've – <laughs> Oklahoma State is just, like, leaving that door just open for you right now. Mm-hmm. Like, they should be up by so much more, as crazy as that sounds. They played so much better than you in the second half. They're letting your defense off the hook. Offense, go out there and make a play, and they go down and throw a pick to Rodriguez. Um, 
on the, on the next drive. So, yeah, I don't know. I mean, it's one of those games where in the moment, I'm just like, how the hell did this just happen? And the more and more we talk about it, I'm kind of like, forces happen. Like, this team was really, really thin on both sides of the ball. And right. they finally met their match um, physically. But yeah, it's, uh, I mean, the way that you're spitting out like Oklahoma said, because we, I often am guilty of like, well, you're focusing more on the Lorenzo Styles play, the overthrow just mm-hmm. by inches, than I am on like, who fumbles the ball going into the end zone the way the Oklahoma State receivers did, or the Spencer Sanders fumble, um, or that the the face mask, which I did not see on a replay um, yet. I'll check that out on the. It was a good, no, it was a good like, call, but it's just like it was a good. Yeah, happen? I'm not saying it's a bad call. It's just like yeah, you never see that actually occur. Um, so yeah, all all of those opportunities, you're like, well, that's you know another three points there. That could have been seven. That could have been seven. And you know suddenly you're you're talking about a completely different dynamic of the game where. Then it's then the second half feels more like an avalanche opposed to um, you know what it was where you just sort of kind of, you feel like you're trying to shovel yourself out if you're Notre Dame. But um, I don't know. It's um, we've been going for about forty five minutes. Maybe, maybe we could wrap sort of up on this point. Like, does the does anything that happened today sort of change your view of Marcus Freeman and where the program is going? Mm, probably not. I mean, I think it's still a little too close to the sun to say that mm-hmm. with any yeah. definition, but no, I mean, I think he knew the flaws in this team, in this roster um, before this game, and they were... I think before he took the job, he knew the, <laughs> yeah. the some of the flaws. I mean, yes, actually, that, that's absolutely true. We both heard some of the conversations he yeah. was told about taking over this team, and which made 11-1 yeah. all the more impressive. Um, no, I don't, I mean... Not to harp on the BK point, but you know, I, I do think that's what you miss without a veteran head coach. And that's not to say it can't be made up for, but um, there are gonna be some 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 bumps along the way. Um I, I, I think because it's the honeymoon stage, because it's a new coach, because it's a guy I think everyone wants to see succeed. You know, again, even non-Nerd Dame fans seem to be excited about Nerd Dame right now. Um you're going to have wild overreactions. And again, just look at like the fan base's reaction over a 30 minute period <laughs> on New Year's Day today. I mean, it was literally all over the place from the, the best of the best to the worst of the worst. So um, now we made this far without mentioning your crew to four star top 50 safety um, who commits right, right. before kickoff, um, which the combination of that and the 28 seven start um, was, was exciting for Notre Dame as well. Um but no, I, 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 it'll be a strong off season. I have little doubt about that. I mean, I, as far as when we'll reconvene again, I mean, there are a number of hires to be made. Unless they hire another Marcus Freeman at DC, I don't know if we'll do one for every single, a shamrock <laughs> for every single hire they make. But we might. I don't know. We might get bored here. It's the off season, and we've got nine long months between now and uh, and Columbus next September. But I, I don't think as crazy as everything that just unfolded today was when you take a step back. No, I don't think like in the big picture, this changes a whole lot. I think it, you know, was a glass of cold water to the face. I mean, it's January 1st right now on December 1st, I believe was December 1st was when at least it was that Wednesday. It's when Tommy said he was in, which meant Marcus was in, if not officially, then unofficially later that night, like we're literally at the one month mark, the Marcus Freeman era mm-hmm. and the emotional bandwidth that's been expanded by everybody over the last 31 days 
is probably enough to cover a year. Like it's just been absolutely crazy um, and all over the place from, from losing the winningest coach in program history to getting the, the best up and coming coach in the country to going up by 21 points in a New Year's six game and ultimately losing it. Like it's just been a lot. So I think taking a step back and taking a deep breath will be good for everyone as we embark on 2022. <laughs> I know no one's really good at that, but we're going to try. Um, and I'm curious to see, you know, where, where the program goes from here, where, what, who's that next defensive coordinator? Um, how does that next defense coordinator recruit? And how does their team recruit um, between now and the next time we get to see them field a team? Yeah, I'm, I'm with you. I don't, I don't come away from this with like, oh, you know, this is, you know, the first time head coach might be a longer learning curve than expected. Like it's going to be a learning curve for him, um, which is, which is fine. That's part of the deal with you making the hire, you make that, you make the investment now so you can get a return down the road. Um, if they could have got a bonus return today, that would have been great. Um, you know, you would have had this nine month honeymoon uh, into Columbus, Ohio in early September. So, you know, it's a negative. I don't want to, try to gloss over that, but, um, it, you would hope that Marcus Freeman would come away from this, you know, with a fairly sober take on like where, where things need to go, how they need to get there, who they need to get there, get there with, uh, to make it happen. Um, and I think he's going to have some pretty fresh ideas about, you know, what Notre Dame football can be, how it should get there. That doesn't mean it's going to be easy to make all that stuff happen. Um, that's, that's hard work. Those are heavy lifts. But um, I do think that uh, he comes out of this, you know, very, very clear-eyed about what needs to happen next. Third comeback of 14 points or more by Oklahoma State this year as well. So maybe we should have seen a little more competitive second half coming than we yeah. actually got. Um, there's also no, – right. go we, we, we often, because it's a Notre Dame podcast, do not probably mind like those kind of statistics too. Like Oklahoma State had – very similar to DNA to Notre Dame where they're just like, they're never out of it. Even if it looks like they're out of it. Yes. Um, I think we also know why people weren't all that disappointed about missing the playoff this year after yesterday and after today. Could be. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. There's Bryce young against that secondary without Kyle Hamilton. Um, yeah. There were, there 2012 were 12 look like child's play. Yeah. I think Notre Dame is still irked that it lost to Cincinnati. Um, but that's different than saying they're irked about not being in the playoff. I think they're 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 peeved that they lost to Cincinnati because they feel like they're better than Cincinnati. But that's different than they weren't back then, we, though. I mean, that, we wanted that's, a, that's what that, a season yeah, is. Yeah, well, it's now. Like you look at it now, would Notre Dame have beaten Cincinnati if they played today? I don't know. I don't know. It would have been. I think before today, I probably would have said yes. But after today, yeah, I'm like, they well, would have played better. Um, um, yeah. You know, would have been a more competitive game. But um, I mean, Notre Dame ends this season at 11 and two, two uh they fifth the fifth straight double digit win season um playoffs twice new year's six bowl once uh potential to return a lot for next season based on how the roster shapes out i think that is still to be determined i think that the the defense will come out ahead of the offense in terms of guys coming back that Notre Dame wants to come back but um you know it's uh there's there is still a lot of optimism around Notre Dame football. It's just like, I think has probably a healthier perspective to it um, than maybe it would have otherwise if, uh, if Notre Dame had to run away with this today against Oklahoma state. What's next for you? Are you, uh, are you bringing in the new year? Are you going to, are you going to Indy next week for the championship? 
I am not. No, I was not invited to that. Um, it's in your so, state. You don't need an invite. Yeah. <laughs> no, I will not be attending that. I think probably some uh, coaching search news after a 7.20 a.m. flight tomorrow back to Chicago where... Fingers crossed the weather will be uh, as I stare out at cooperative. Myself, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I don't, I don't know if I'm going to make it back uh, to the Midwest that quickly, but yeah, it's just, it'll be an interesting off season with the staff. Um, I think recruiting coverage, I'll be doing quite a bit more of that because that's a much bigger part of where Notre Dame's going uh, under Marcus Freeman. I think a lot more interesting. So yeah, we will have many episodes of the Shamrock to come. Thanks again for everyone who uh, checked in with the, uh, our live show during the week. That was um, fun. We're going to do it we again. Do, hopefully. Yeah. We could probably do a season wrap up live show as well. Um, to sort of see where that goes. So I, I wonder uh, what the turnout would have been if we did it now, like in the aftermath of a blown lead. I, yeah. Maybe we should like have a few, uh, <laughs> off season ones before we tempt fates and do one as a post game show. Um, that, that could end up being a two hour or three hour show. And eventually I do have to write something. So on that note, uh, we will wrap up this, uh, our final episode of the Shamrock from the 2021 season on New Year's Day 2022, following Notre Dame's 37-35 loss to Oklahoma State in the Fiesta Bowl, first game of the Marcus Freeman era. I think a, a lot of stories to tell to come, um, and you can read so many of them on The Athletic and, listen, and hear about them on our uh, humble podcast, The Shamrock. So thanks to all our listeners throughout the season. This has been a lot of fun. Um, more interesting of a year than I think either matter I thought was going to happen and would but... be possible to predict. Okay. Yeah. All true. Um, so that is a lot more to come here. So thanks for being with us as readers, listeners, subscribers, all that. We appreciate you being with us. So that's Matt and I signing off for this episode of the Shamrock. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10. Place your first bet on any game and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager.